This episode is brought to you by the new D9 Business Directory. Shop Greek-owned brands from a variety of categories. And if you are Greek, author, or business owner, add your profile today at d9business.com. Honoring those trailblazers who preceded us is just as important as leaving a legacy for those who will follow us. Greekly Speaking is about highlighting Greeks today who are creating positive change for tomorrow. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Hi, welcome to Greekly Speaking. I'm Eric Tucker, and joining me for this episode is Chris Ray, International First Vice President of Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. Chris was initiated in the Xi Nu chapter of Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity in 1996 at East Carolina University. He's an author, entrepreneur, and president and CEO of the Capital Impact Group, which provides custom solutions for diversity and inclusion. Chris is also currently a major in the Army National Guard, providing leadership for various IT and cybersecurity initiatives, and he is currently a candidate for the fraternity's top position of international president. Please welcome to Greekly Speaking, Chris Ray. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Good, good. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Thank you for joining us, man. I, hey, it's campaign season, and I, I know you're busy, and I've seen your content as participating in other speaking engagements, man, on various business-related topics. So I know you're busy, and we appreciate your time in the middle of the pandemic to come hang out with us a little bit and, and, and let, let everybody get to know you. Everything going well for you so far? Man, listen, I can't complain, brother. All is all is well. You know, the campaign trail can be a little exhausting. Five Beta Sigma is a big global fraternity. So, you know, you're trying to reach out to chapters all over the world to try to take your message. And so it's sometimes you're on their time, right? And so it's, it, it can be a little exhausting, but it's when you've decided to get on this journey and, and be at this level of the organization's leadership, it comes with the territory. But I'm, I'm holding it all together, man, between, you know, personal life, professional life and Sigma life. It's never a dumb moment. Never. Hey, I, I can imagine, man. And and just kind of doing a little research for this segment, man. I, I was intrigued, you know, CEO of your own firm. Where did you get the passion to launch your own brand and particularly in the diversity and inclusion space? Yeah, sure. Great question, brother. Thank you for that. So, you know, I've always been an entrepreneur at heart, right? Uh, I started my first, my first um, company when I was six years old, selling candy in the neighborhood to my, to my friend. So I would go to the candy lady get the candy, and then I'll do an upcharge. And uh, so that, that was my first introduction. And I started doing that when I was six years old. And uh, it just kind of it just kind of was with me, you know. So, you know, I joined the military. I've had other opportunities, other gigs. But, you know, I've always had, like, my own little firm in the background, you know. And, I mean, I've had a bunch of them, you know, just depending on where I was in life. Even with the pandemic, I started Capital Impact Group back in 2019. I was still working with the March of Dimes. And then the March of Dimes, you know, COVID hit, the March of Dimes, you know, they laid off a bunch of folks. I was one of the last people that they had hired. So of course, you know, you're usually one of the first people out the door. And then of course, it just wasn't the right time, you know, in the pandemic to be trying to launch your own company for me. I mean, for some people, they may have been able to do it. You know, so I took a step back. I actually had dissolved the company and then I, you know, moved to a new location and, and decided to reincorporate and just get back on the grind because I was just like, you know, this is what I ultimately want to do. Diversity and inclusion is very, very important to me, man. It's always about leveling the playing field. 
And so how do I take these skills that I have from so many years of being in this space in, in Sigma or serving in government or serving in the private sector? How do I take this knowledge to make sure that more doors are being opened up for people that specifically look like me? And, and so, you know, so it's always great sitting down with these organizations and making sure that they have the right policies in place, that they have the right, that they're creating the environment for there to be a level playing field for everybody. So I, I enjoy that. So it's a part of who I am. So, so I, like I said, I reincorporated the company here in the great state of Maryland and, you know, we'll see what happens. You do what you got to do. Sometimes you need to reset to take the next step up. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's exactly what we did. Okay. And, and you mentioned your military background. And, and first of all, thank you for your service, man. And, and to your family, thanks for that commitment, man. We, we appreciate that. How does your military background play or benefit your um, career in the civilian sector? I had the opportunity to, you know, in the military, you know, you have the enlisted, you have the officer side. And so, you know, I've had a chance to be on both ends, right? I enlisted into the army when I left East Carolina University, and then eventually went on to officer candidate school. And so as an enlisted soldier, you're basically you're taking orders, right? You're saying, hey, we need you to take this hill. This is what you got to do. Just execute. You know, and after a while, you know, of course, the way my brain worked, I'm like, well, why are we taking this hill? You know, I need to know why we're taking this hill. So they were like, well, you need to become an officer then if you want to know why we have to do this. And so, of course, went to officer candidate school and learned all these strategies around leadership, around running huge enterprises. Because when you think about as a leader in the military, you're managing people, you're managing resources. You know, you have so many competing interests that's taking place. And so all of those things prepare you when you get on, on the private sector side, just because, you know, you have the capacity to kind of look at the entire enterprise and kind of see the, the deficiencies or see what's over the horizon and be able to give a different perspective. Because as a military officer, you know, I'm required to see the 50 meter target, the 100 meter target, and then the, the 350 meter target. And so that's how I approach all of my, all of the, all of the organizations that I've been a part of, just looking at the various targets and realizing that we eventually got to get to that 300 meter target. Okay. Okay. And great segue to the next question. How did Phi Beta Sigma become a target in your life? Did you have any Greek influences coming up? You know, no, I didn't, man. I, you know, I didn't even know what a Phi Beta Sigma was, you know, I, you know, I grew up, you know, in a small town in North Carolina. You know, I was just glad to get out of that town. I mean, Spring Lake was one of those places where in our community, in our county, uh, we had, it was nine municipalities. And in that county, if you said, you know, well, I, you know, I'm from Spring Lake, people would be like, oh, you know, like, okay. You know, because most of the, most of us never really got out. Uh, a lot of high crime, a lot of, a lot of generational poverty, just a lot of challenges. And so getting out was just a success. So I really didn't know that many folks. It wasn't until I got to college at East Carolina University and the majority of the guys on the team were Sigmas. And so I was intrigued by not only this brotherhood that we had on the tracks team, but it was this camaraderie that they had amongst themselves. When we would go to track meets, it would be these complete strangers from other schools that were blue and white and would just come up and find the Sigmas at East Carolina. Uh, and what made our school so unique at the time was that we had like an overabundance of Sigmas on the track team. It was like nine guys on the track team. So so you can't really hide all that blue and white when you walk into a track meet, right? You know, you may have on the school paraphernalia, but you know, you're going to be rocking something Sigma-wise. And so other Sigmas that were on other teams, there may be one or two Sigmas, then they'll come and they just all gravitate to the East Carolina brothers. And then all of a sudden, there'll be Zetas that would come. And so I, I was just intrigued. I really was. I was like, why is this happening? 
And then that's when I started doing my research and, and then just went through the process. And ironically enough, the majority of the guys on my line, we were all on the track team. It was six of us, five of us were on the track team. So that made the track team process even bigger, you know, made the track team numbers of signals even bigger. At one point, it was like 15 of us on the track team. It was crazy. It's easy to say you run in the yard when you're actually literally on the track team. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that is yeah. awesome, man. That is So you said six people came through with you. What was the name of the line? Oh, my gosh. You know, in, a, in another world, this would have been this would have been really great, you know. But so, you know, let me preface by saying before I put the name out there, let me, let me just put it out. Let me just say this before I put it out there. The one thing about my line I can say, and this is not me bragging or boasting, but just being giving you just honest facts. Wait, uh, wait, hang on one second. Let me take a sip. <laughs> OK, proceed. OK, you know, let me let me let me say this, that, you know, we were always we were we were tight on our information and. And the brothers were always so impressed with that. They were like, man, you guys, we, you know, they, you know, they trying to find ways to trip you up. You know, when you go, you know, they trying to find ways. And we were always tight. I mean, always tight. And it just stuck. And so they named us, they named us Trump tight because of just who we were. I mean, it was just like, there would be visiting brothers that would come and, and we would always be able to run our information. I mean, it just was a line full of just super smart dudes. You know, all of us today are doing very well professionally. So I can see why we were able to catch what we were doing. I could, you know, you know, when we were trying to learn things out of, out of our brain, it was just, you know, we just knew what we had to do. And, and so the brothers would just be impressed. So if you were the dean of the line, you were proud. You know, you were like, these are my boys, you know. So they named us Trump type, you know. They named us Trump type because we, you know, they named us all after cards. And and so, you know, when you play spades, you know, you you got to win a hand, you know, you Trump, you Trump type. So that's what I that's what I thought was, you know, that's what it was. So. Okay. And and your line name was? Okay. So, so, so first of all, see, well, see, you know, see, this is speaking. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> we don't have to. We got to know the details, man. Talk you to know, me. I see, man. I see, right? So, you know, I got to always give a backstory. You can't just be dropping the days, right? Because you got to give the backstory because, you know, because there was there was something about my day. So, you know, of course, I'm talking about you playing spades, right? So, playing spades means that, you know, you got the big joker, the little joker, you know, the, the ace. I mean, I mean, it's like you got it. You got it all, right? So of course, you know, we're all supposed to be named after spades. That's 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 what I'm thinking when you say we Trump tight. But no, no, no. I was the only one that wasn't named after Spade. And it was just, you know, I, I can't go into details why. So my line name was called King of Hearts. And I'm just going to leave it. I'm just going to leave it at that. I just, I just, yeah. So. So they gave uh, you the red card? <laughs> I mean, they gave me the red card, man. They gave me the red card. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Okay. But it was a lot more that came with the whole King of Hearts thing. It was, I just, let's just say that, you know. It was a lot going on at East Carolina University at the time. And yeah, so they named me King of Hearts and I'll leave it at that. So. Okay, so subscribe to Greekly Speaking Plus to get the backstory about <laughs> what's really going on with this. All right, let's 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 move on, man. So okay, how has being Greek impacted your life as far as oh. you know when you're on a collegiate level? You had this fantastic experience, you know, with the yeah. Trump type crew. But before we get into that, first of all. How would your line brothers describe you? Oh man, they would describe me as they would they would say I'm ambitious. You know, they would they would say I'm ambitious, but they also would say that I'm the glue. I'm the one who makes sure that even to this day, I'm the one who has the 
that, that, you know, that started the email text chain, you know, the text chain with us. I'm the one who makes sure that, you know, I'm always the first one to wish everyone, each one of them a happy birthday. I'm the one who makes sure that they always pay their dues, you know, so I'm the one who always keeps us connected. And so they would probably say that on top of the fact that I'm, I'm pretty ambitious. I, I feel like there's another story, but we're going to move on. <laughs> no, no, that's, uh, it, that's it. That's it. That's it. Hey, hey, it, that's all good, man. Hey, it, it's so so. You came through on the collegiate level, and what was that like for you coming in? Give me a couple of fond memories that you had, Phi Beta Sigma related, on that oh, collegiate level at that time. Yeah, so yeah, so you know, I will tell you, man. In my in my era, in the mid '90s. Phi Beta Sigma at East Carolina University was larger than life. And I don't say that like when people say, oh, you know, we ran a yard and we were. No, no. Sigmas at East Carolina ran a yard in the mid 90s. You know, let no let there be no one that you ever meet that will ever say that. At one point, we were the largest. We had 43 Sigmas on the yard at a predominantly white university in the mid 90s. That's how serious it was. I mean, we were like Visa. We were everywhere you wanted us to be. You know, we were collegiate. We got collegiate chapter of the year in 1999 at the, at the Dallas Conclave. It was just a great experience. And there would be signals that would travel from literally all over the state of North Carolina to come and party with the signals at ECU. And then in return, when we would show up to some of their campuses, I mean, we're here we are. We're rolling, you know, 15, 16 cars deep. And so if you are a Sigma at a campus where you had maybe, you know, three or four brothers, because that's, that was where, how it was on a lot of campuses, you know, and we'll just roll up, you know, be 23, 24 of us, all of a sudden it just changes your whole party, you know? And so it was, so that was always great. We did a lot of road tripping. I don't even know how we got out of school. You know, we just had a great time doing that. And so that was a great experience on the on the being a Sigma and having fun side. On the other side, joining Phi Beta Sigma literally changed my life. It it unlocked in me leadership qualities that I absolutely did not know existed. I very quickly became the chapter president at our chapter after becoming a Neo. I came in in the fall of 96. I got elected president in the spring of 97 when, when, the, when we were turning over. And from that moment, my life literally took a whole nother deviation because I was the one that had to represent the chapter at, at, at conferences where I had to go to certain meetings. And so at the university, because our chapter was so big, we were leaders on campus. And so it started putting me in the rooms with people I knew that I wanted to aspire to. And I would just, I would just watch them and, and just started taking things in and understanding how to read the room and read body language. And it was, and I was taking this all in as a 19, 20 year old, you know, kid. And, and so it, it, the organization really prepared me for what was to come. So. Hey, and that's that's interesting, man. You know, to hear that perspective so young, as young men at that age, to take on habits that will actually help you progress in your career yeah. is always a good thing. Because we know we, many of us know people who did not. Let me ask you this: What are some of the other positions that you've held in the fraternity since college? So, of course, in school, I'll never forget this. Went to an executive state meeting for the state of North Carolina. Walked into the room; all were older gentlemen. And one brother leaned over to me. His name was Dudley Flood, the Honorable Brother Dudley Flood, who's now in the DSC. Very wise, very wise man. I didn't really know who he was until many years later when I did my research to realize that he was the individual that was responsible for desegregating the schools in North Carolina in the 70s. But he was a proud Sigma brother. And he leaned over to me and said, you know, you should be the associate secretary, which is a collegiate position on the, on the state executive board. 
He said, and that will open up doors for you in the organization. I was like, okay. Little did I know. So I became the, the, the associate secretary. Then eventually I became the associate regional director, which is a collegiate position on a regional board. And then I got elected international second vice president of the organization. Was so got appointed after that international director of collegiate affairs. At 27 years old, I was elected the 16th Southeastern regional director, which was unheard of. You know, you know, most of my, all of my art regional director peers, when I got elected, they were all in their fifties and older. And so here I was 27 years old. I was international director of technology, international social action director, and now I'm the international first vice president. And all in, in between all of that, you know, I've been, I've been an alumni chapter president right down to being the guy who cuts the grass at the frat house, you know, so just many roles, man, but at the international level, I've had quite a few. So, yeah. What are two things, two lessons learned that stand out the most from your experience with the fraternity in a leadership level? Oh my gosh. So I've learned that everyone doesn't have vision, that they are literally individuals that are in our organizations to, to serve themselves actually. And I mean, and I say that, you know, very honestly that the organization is the only place that they can shine. And so, so it's really about them and it's not about the fraternity. And I learned that from a leadership standpoint. And the second piece is, but on the flip side, I've, I've learned through this process that there are men who love this organization so much that have such tremendous talent and want to serve, but not for themselves, but truly for the betterment of the organization. And so there's like this, in my opinion, man, I always say this, that there's like this, this quiet war that's always raging between those who are egomaniacs for themselves and those who actually love the fraternity and want to advance, you know, the vision of what the these three men came up with 107 years ago. Like there is a group of brothers who honestly believe that these principles should be advanced in the world. And then there's another group that they believe that on the surface, but it's really the fact that I have a title, I got a position, and it's about me. And, and it's not hard to ever find out, you know, see who those individuals are, because outside of Sigma, you know, you can't find their names nowhere in lights, you know, so and I'll leave it at that. So you're talking about membership and, you know, what's what the membership is currently comprised of. Let's say you find an individual who's not Greek, not in a fraternity, but you think that they would be a great asset to the fraternity. How would you go about recruiting them? Well, initially, it's making sure that, you know, you are always inviting them to opportunities to network. I look at a gentleman, if, and, I've, and I've done this for years. <clears throat> if he has the qualities that we're technically missing from the chapter, or he has, you know, like we really need an attorney in the chapter. Uh, and this brother is an attorney. And, but outside of him just being an attorney, he really is a good guy. You know, you can see his service in the community. You know, he's really carrying himself the right kind of way. We really think that he has the character to be a member of the organization. Part of my approach is two ways. Number one, trying to see if he's interested in expanding his network. And then number two, just in inviting him to events to see and showcase who we are. So then that means that you as a chapter have to be able to be doing things that are enticing to individuals to want to be a part of your brotherhood. That's the first strategy, just to invite him. So that so he can see and determine for himself, I like these gentlemen. I like the fact that 
I haven't been around this many black and brown men and that have, that are positive in doing things. Because you'll be surprised how many professional men of color are in silos all day long with people that don't look like them. And so they're not able to be in spaces where they can get rejuvenated by having more of us to feed their spirit. And so you want him to come and be a part of us while we're fellowshipping and hanging out and realizing that, yeah, this guy over here is a surgeon. This guy over here is a, you know, is a general. This guy over here is a, is a high school administrator, whatever the case may be. These are people in your community. They're all Sigma men, but we're all here around this fire pit right now, just having a good time and hanging out. How do you expose him to that? Okay. And what about on the other side of that, brothers who are no longer active? Right. How would you go about re-engaging them? So <clears throat> different strategy, right? It's first and foremost, there's two different kinds of brothers who are inactive. They are the brothers who we know is out there, but for whatever reason in their life, they're just not engaged, right? And so that means that as a chapter, you have to always make sure that you're continuously providing them hey, brother, this is what we're doing in the chapter. This is what we have going on in the community, just so that they can see it. Even if it's, even if they're not participating, at least they see the service that's happening. And hopefully when they get out of wherever the location is in their life where they are ready to serve again, that they'll want to be able to come back because they'll be able to say, man, I've been seeing the work that my chapter, this chapter is doing in my community and I want to be a part of it. That's the first kind of brother. The second kind of sigma that's out there is the ones that we have no idea that he's a sigma, right? We pass him every day. We don't have any contact for him or whatever the case may be. So that means that then the chapter in that community has to have a strategy um, that allows for the work that they're doing to be magnified in ways that it will reach me, even though you don't know who I am. You don't know that I exist out here. So how do you reach me? So that means that we have to look at, you know, are you purchasing, you know, digital ads to pop up in, in a demographic? You know, I want all black males who are on Facebook to get a, come out and hang out with the Sigma's ad or something like that, or a Phi Beta Sigma ad. Pennies on the dollar, great advertisement. You know, you put together an advertising campaign, or maybe you get, you get an opportunity to put up a billboard in your community. You know, so you have to think outside of the box about the brother that you know is in your community, but we don't have any contact with him. And then the brother that we know is in our community and we have contact with him. And so you just have to be creative on how you continue your outreach and your continued outreach until he's in the right place to come back home. And in some of those ones that we don't have any contact with, he don't even know how to contact the fraternity, believe it or not. You know, he doesn't know he doesn't know about www.5beta-sigma1914.org. He doesn't. Now, should he just go and Google 5 Beta Sigma? Yes, but, you know, that's a whole other conversation for another day. Make it easy. It's part of the branding, right? And then that's the right. Marketing. Make it easy. Yeah. Make it easy. I, I hear you. I hear you. So what would you say would be your main focus if elected as the next international president of Phi Beta Sigma? Sure. So main focus is, <clears throat> is getting the brothers to see what more we can do rather than just being a day-to-day -day fraternity. I, and I say this all the time when I speak to chapters, you know, picking up trash on the side of the road is not enough anymore. It is literally, how do we own the road? You know, I'm ready to own the road. We're 107 years old. It's time to own the road. And so, and then once we own the road, we build on that road. I'm, I'm, I'm a believer that Phi Beta Signal can have our own health clinics. We can have our own charter schools to, 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 to educate our community. 
We have the ability to have our own assisted living facilities for our brothers when they get older. You know, we, you know, 5 Sigma is getting ready to embark on a multi-million dollar campaign to build an affordable housing apartment complex in Washington, D.C. next year. It will be, you know, will be the first time that we're stepping out of our comfort zone as an organization doing something like that. I want to replicate this in urban cities across the country in the next decade. That's the future of 5 Sigma. And how do you do that? And so... My goal as president is to get the general board and the brotherhood to get on board with that kind of future. And so in doing this project we're going to do next year, we got to take out, you know, millions of dollars from a banking institution. You know how powerful it's going to be in the next five to six years when we do this again, and we're taking the money out of our own credit union instead of another banking institution. That's the future I see. And it's all about believing. Believing. Believe talk to us God. about that. Talk to us about that. that yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's why my campaign theme is believe, because I want the brotherhood to believe in the power of what we're capable of. There is nothing on this planet that we cannot accomplish. Nothing. And so I want the brothers to believe that. So believe is broken down into seven principles, you know, brotherhood for B, because again, you can't have a fraternity without brotherhood. The first, the first E in believe is equity, because I'm going to be that social action president, right? Equity is my background. It's always about five, eight, signal level in the playing field and us making sure that we're standing in the gap, but truly the voice of the voiceless. L is for leadership, because it is critical that as leaders, we are constantly, constantly, constantly preparing the next generation to serve in the fraternity, but outside of the fraternity as well. You know, eyes for infrastructure, because as a leader of this organization, we have to always be looking at the next platforms and the next resources that we need to bring to the table in order for the organization to continue to benefit, especially with this growing membership that we have. The second E is for economics. How do we continue to be financially solvent as an organization? But then how do we diversify our, our, our income as a fraternity. V is for volunteerism because we have to always make sure that we're in these communities. And I don't believe nobody do it better than Phi Beta Sigma. And last but certainly not least, the final E is for uh, the environment, right? I believe in climate change. Climate change is real. There's no real D9 organizations that are really talking about climate change uh, and the environment. Climate change is impacting our community. And we're going to be the last to benefit from the green economy that's coming, but we're going to be the first ones to be impacted uh, by the natural disasters and all the things that continue to happen. So we have to begin to truly educate black and brown communities around the environment and the changing and the changes that are coming. So, and together, when we put it together, it's all about believing, believing in what we are capable of achieving if we truly come together. And I, and I, and I believe that I really do. All right. Last thoughts. What would you say to that person who's on the fence right now um, trying to decide, Hey, where should I cast my vote? What would you want people to know? Oh, man, I, I would I would ask them to, you know, to make sure that, as always, just like before we join our organization, do your research, right? Do your research on all the candidates that are running. But I will tell them that if they take the top opportunity to really peel back the layers, they would see that I am prepared to do this job, being very committed to not only this brotherhood, but the impact that this brotherhood can have on the world. And so, and if they want that, if they truly want a leader with vision, and one that sees the fraternity bigger than we can even imagine, then I'm the person there. Because in everything that I've been a part of, everything that I've touched, from the cities I've ran to the organizations I've been a part of, I've left them better than I found them. And so I'm that guy. It's who I am. Uh, and I'm ready. I'm ready to execute. Well, we wish you luck. We appreciate you taking a few minutes to talk to us on Greekly Speaking. And good luck out there on the campaign trail, man. 
And if there's uh, anything we can do to promote some of the other positive initiatives that you've been involved in already out on social media, we see you working, doing, still putting in work in addition to the campaign. So that's, that was really impressive. Just let us know. Okay. Thank you so much, my brother. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Appreciate what you're doing. And thank you for giving all these brothers and sisters platforms to be able to continue to tell their story. Chris Ray, International First Vice President of Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated from that Trump tight line of 1996 at East Carolina University. I'm Eric Tucker with Greekly Speaking. Until next time, we'll catch you on the next episode.